Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. I'm so excited to introduce our first ever video course, the Creative Recovery Accelerator, or for ease, the CRA. What story do you tell yourself about your eating disorder? What feelings and emotions are you trying to avoid with your ED behaviors? How do you talk to your body? And what beliefs are you hanging on to to keep you where you are? The CRA will work on all ED and addictive behaviors. And wherever you are along your recovery journey, it will help you either stay on track, start or accelerate further. Make peace with yourself, shift your perspective and get well. I know how hard it is to let go of ED and addictive behaviors, which is why I've created the CRA, so we can help as many people as possible. Just visit lovethisfoodthing.com forward slash accelerator for all of the details. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be celebrating a first with not one guest, but two. Phoebe Dale and Sarah Roberts, a trainee clinical psychologist from Lancaster University and currently completing their doctorate of clinical psychology. Phoebe's interest in psychology started at 16 when she became fascinated by human resilience and how to survive and grow from difficult experiences. Before starting her clinical training, she worked in substance misuse treatment and later child and adolescence mental health services. Sarah's curiosity about the concept of human behavior and mental health led to her studying developmental psychology. Before starting her clinical training, Sarah worked as a support worker in an ED service and assistant psychologist in a learning disability service. It's like a, you know, tongue twister or like linguistical exercise. Okay, Phoebe and Sarah's research centers on the eating disorder voice and how that voice or voices impede an individual's recovery. Phoebe and Sarah, welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, so were you two friends? Did you know each other before you started your research? No, we're just on the same um, university course. Okay, am I taking to Phoebe now or Sarah? Because for anyone who's listening, we haven't got cameras on. (laughs) It's Sarah. That's Sarah, okay. And so did you pair up naturally or was it something that was designated to you or how did that happen? Um, So yeah, I guess uh, when it comes to our research on this course, uh, we expressed our interest in different projects that are available um, and we'd both expressed an interest in looking into the eating disorder voice. So um, we kind of figured out a way for us to do it together. Um, And yeah, it's been a really nice process so far. And this is Phoebe, isn't it, that I'm speaking yes, to? Yes, Okay, so, all right, I've got you now, I've got your accents. So how long have you been going for, Phoebe? Um, on the course, we're coming up to the end of our second year. Um, right. And I guess in terms of our research, it's been primarily um, over the last year or so, yeah. Okay, okay. So should we, should we start and, and, and see where we go to? I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with you, Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you, how is your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? I think it's probably something that young women can relate to, that it's a changing relationship. Um, right. I think it's definitely more friend than foe. Um, but I think especially thinking back to being a teen and just the media influences that there are of how women are portrayed and body trends that there are I think it's hard to get out of those narratives sometimes did Um, you find yourself very influenced yeah I think um through media through um 
the narratives from older generations about food being good or bad and being labelled as that for you, it's quite hard to to break out of that narrative sometimes. Um, I think in the more recent years, I've become more of an avid gym goer and that's definitely changed my perspective on food being a friend because I guess I see food as a fuel. So if I want to progress, I need that energy, I need that that there to kind of drive me um, for that. So I think that's been a really positive influence for me. That's really interesting because I am now going to make a huge assumption that actually you didn't have many problems around food or any many destructive behaviours because you've made a nice transition to looking after your body and nourishing it by going to the gym and, and realising that you need to have the right nutrition and probably the right amount of sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So is that right? I'm feeling that you'll pro- probably have a you know a relatively balanced relationship with food within the context of everything that you're talking about, the yeah. narratives and you know media influences and what you should look like, et cetera. Yeah, I think um, it's something that's been a progress over the, the last few years, definitely. Okay, I'm coming to you, Sarah. But um, what was, just briefly, what was food like at home for you when you were a kid? What were the messages that you got from your family environment? So my mum in particular tried to kind of promote a healthy relationship with food. But like Phoebe said, there's that kind of message of, oh, I'm being good today, so I'm having this food or, you know, this food's bad or things like that. So there were kind of those labels. But I didn't kind of pick up on that until I was around maybe 16, 17, when I first started kind of going on holiday and things like that. And you're very aware that, you know, you're going to have a lot of skin on show and things like that. So I would say relatively healthy, but there's always that kind of niggling kind of voice in your head, which we'll go on to later. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, that was, I wanted to, um, let's ask you now then, Sarah. So how would you describe your relationship with food, would you describe it as a, a friend or a foe now? And then I'll go back to your early sort of messages, Phoebe. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, go for it. Sorry, that's completely my bad. It's just because we can't see each other, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, so would you describe, Sarah, your relationship with food as a friend or a foe? I would say I would desperately want it to be 100% a friend. Mm. Um, but some days I do see it as more of a foe but I think that is kind of the messages you get like Phoebe was saying from society particularly directed a lot at women um so I think in myself I want it to be a friend it's kind of 90% a friend um but yeah still a work in progress to kind of um solidify that really do you have that thing where you think I just can't be bothered to think about it so I don't really want I can't be bothered to eat so you go for ages without eating and then suddenly you're really hungry and you just like eat a lot yeah yeah, yeah. Today I definitely relate to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you had a relatively, well, you had a positive um, food environment or feelings around food when you were growing up. Yeah, I'd say so overall. It's just the kind of um, subconscious things that people kind of say. I think particularly it might be like a generational thing or loads of different um, things. There's always that kind of, yeah, labelling of food and what you should be eating and things like that. So, so who was... Who did you sort of look up to or who were you aware of in the media when you were a teenager? Who was the person that you all aspired to? Hmm. That's a difficult one because I think growing up it changed. So during the kind of early 2000s, it was kind of that it was more even pushed on us even more that, you know, being really skinny was the trend. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, I remember actually having 
one of my screensavers on my phone is um, a picture of Kate Moss and that horrible quote that she yeah, <laughs> nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Yeah, that's amazing. So how? Because I remember being influenced, very influenced by that. So how old were you when? Because I'm a lot older than you. How old were you when when you had that screensaver on your phone? I must have been about fourteen. Wow, wow. Mm, it's shocking when you think back to it, really. Yeah, I think she probably regrets saying that nowadays. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah, that's fascinating. And so Sarah, um, no Phoebe, I'm so sorry. What was it like for you growing up? How were your familial messages? Did you sit around and eat together? Did you cook? Who cooked for you? How, how was it when you were a kid? Yeah, I guess food has always been something that brought my family together. We were very oh. big on family dinners. Um, everyone would eat together. Okay. Um, so I think in terms of that, food has a really good... Um, I have a really good association with that. And my mum was always the cook. Um, but I think like I said before of that older generation I think it was my my mum that would be labeling that as good and bad um and I have two older sisters and we're all very different in our appearances I guess um so just the message that was given across of what you should and shouldn't eat um was quite strong I guess um that's so yeah go on go on keep going um I was gonna say I think it's just um from older generations kind of internalizing like what Sarah said those quotes that have been there that for us but for a long time of just um for women labeling food or being on a diet and that diet culture I think it's so ingrained in us that those older generations it's never um meant to be passed down it's just like that's the thought process that they have and it's kind of passed on through that I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's the whole point, though, of being the younger generation or or when if you, you know, when you're a kid, you are meant to, you're not meant to, you don't have to, you can live your life however you want to, you know, um, but to, to break new ground and um, forge new ideas and opinions and create something new. So, you know, complete, you're completely on the right track. I'm interested. So two things, just who did, did you have a screensaver of Kate Moss? Was, was that also in your kind of orbit? Um, I don't think I had a lot of media influences. Okay. We're not blaming her by the way. (laughs) Um, but I think maybe more just comparison of people at school and things like that. And what, um, I think we get used to hearing what other people are saying or um, or you need to go on a diet because you're going to go on holiday or things yeah. like that. So I think yeah. it's just, it can be media, but it can just be the narratives that surround you really. Oh, it's there everywhere. Yeah. They are everywhere from in, in all sorts of shapes and forms about how we should look, what we should say, absolutely. And the pressure to conform in a certain way for a certain body type that is deemed attractive, the only one. Yes, of course, it's everywhere. I am 57, so I am a couple of generations above you, maybe even two and a half. What do you, what would you, how would you describe my generation around, because you're being very polite at the moment, saying different narratives. I mean, I'm directing this at both of you, Sarah and Phoebe. How would you describe my generation's outlook and narrative on food and how we need to look? I'd say it was kind of almost... um, 
I don't know if the word sad would be kind of like too <laughs> offensive. I don't mean it like no, that. No, I just mean like <laughs> sad as in the, the narratives they were told. As in you look back on it now and it's just, it was even worse than it is now. Like if you look at old magazine covers and things yeah. like that, the stuff that was, it was like, I don't know, like lose 10 pounds in 10 days and all sorts of daft things like that. So I don't mean sad as in that sad. I mean sad as in, you know, it's just a shame that it was like that, really. Yeah. And let me tell you, it never worked. I tried mm. to lose £10 in 10 days, never worked. Yeah, I know, all that kind of 70s, 80s advertising. And mm. I remember being hugely influenced by food and exercise movements that generally came from the States, as most of our cultural influences seem to, seem to maybe a little bit less now, but um, we're so, also tied up in the great machine, aren't we, and the corporations. And what about you, Phoebe? How would you describe my generation? <laughs> yeah, I guess the words kind of like rule following comes to me of like you, right. this is this is how you should talk about food or this is how you should look. And it's very much that everyone seemed to be going towards that. And just when Sarah was talking, it came to mind that there was like an old Barbie doll that had like a scale that was set to a certain weight I think it was like a bathroom one or something that um that I think I can't remember if it had like a little book that was like how to lose weight and something like that but just how that that's for young that was for young girls at that time um I remember very clearly when I was much younger looking at images of women in magazines and thinking I want to look like that I love that hair I love those gold trousers and then maybe buying the trousers or having my hair done similarly and looking nothing like them. And I had a kind of disconnect. I didn't understand that I didn't look like that anyway. So even if I had my hairstyle like that or I had my trousers like that, I wasn't going to look like them. So for lots of us, people go, well, that's not a problem because I've got the trousers now and I'm, you know, part of the tribe or I've got my hair like so-and-so. And, and then there's, a, there's, there's another response which like, well, okay, so I'm wrong and I'm failing and I have to change myself. I have to change myself completely to look like that image. What do you two think about that? I'd say I can definitely relate to that. Mm. Um, even on a different level now with the whole um, kind of enhancements made to people's faces, fillers and things like that. Um, I feel like you're always comparing yourself to different people it's hard not to really your brain kind of just is hardwired to do that at times yeah what do you think Phoebe yeah I definitely think there's still trends um and just the fact that body shapes can be trends um just Mm. shows how much media influence there is over that comparison and wanting to look like other people really. So do you both, because of you're clearly very aware, do you both curtail your your how you consume media? Is that something that you you're on in in your life? Do you are you on social media? Do you read, watch a lot? How how do you both deal with that? Because it's, you know, I, I limit mine because I'm not that interested to be honest. But if I go back to my younger self, I think I would have been voracious with all of it. For that, for that whole thing that you just said about contrast and compare. 
Yeah, I think for myself, it's definitely as a teen, um, engaged with all the social Mm. media and Mm. still do now, but like you said, in a more limited way, I think I'm very aware of when um, I need to take a step back from it. I think a few years ago, I just unfollowed people that were celebrities and things like that, that I was like, I don't, I don't have an interest in in just watching person, someone's life, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, being able to really like find a corner of social media that's my space that I feel um, that I can share and connect with people in a way that's really positive for me and like my mental well-being. Right, right, right. That sounds very boundaried and very, very clear. What about you, Sarah? I'd say I still spend probably too much time on social media, but um like Phoebe said I unfollowed people that might have been kind of unhelpful to me like I went through a stage growing up of following loads of fitness accounts and things like that and one day I just thought I'll I never actually will or would want to look like that you know the whole six-pack thing and things like that and I just thought this kind of doesn't align with what I want so I kind of unfollowed all people like that and I've actually gone the other way and I followed like more like um, body positivity um, accounts and things like that. And I make sure that, because um, I listen to a lot of podcasts as well, right. and I kind of make sure they're all kind of towards the uh, body positivity line of things as well. Yeah, that sounds great. You alluded to something earlier, which I'm going to pick up, but we're just going to take a quick break now, okay? Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Phoebe and Sarah. And just before the break and earlier, Sarah mentioned that there was something that she would talk about later. So we're going to just pick up on that. And I was wondering, Sarah, if it was about your relationship or some of your behaviours around food or something that happened in the past or some kind of psychology or voice that you have around food that you'd like to, to share. Yeah, I just kind of think that as with a lot of um, different things, there's always that kind of little voice in your head, the kind of inner critic. Mm. Um, so I think that's what affects um, me in terms of food, not always being a friend. Um, sometimes it being labelled by a foe, by that kind of inner critic in your head. Um, and just, yeah, it just varies day to day, really. I think that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind when I think about myself and whether I'd be critical of myself, really, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what your critic looks like? I'd say it just looks like me, but with a different facial expression, more of like a like a vicious facial expression. <laughs> really, like holding onto a mallet or something. Or... Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's fascinating. Is it? And let's so let's drill down a bit. So talking about this inner critic, like this voice, is the voice? Is it your voice or is it a different voice? I'd say it's my voice, but in a different tone than okay. I can usually have. Do you remember when that, can you place it when it first started? It was definitely around my teenage years, around 13, 14. Ah, which is generally when we start to compare ourselves to our peers, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think particularly for girls, my experience was girls, it's just, it seemed to, it appeared and it felt a lot more complex than the boys groups that were around me when I was, when I was younger. Um, is that the same for you, Phoebe? Do you have that inner critic? Yeah, I think it's something that 
everyone could probably relate to at some point of just having that very critical critical voice in your head really do you and do you know what your voice looks like is it a character does it sound different um I'm not sure if it sounds different, but I've always described it as a bit of a drill sergeant, <laughs> which oh, I think brings up an image yeah. of just, um, in just that, like, yeah, that quite disciplined nature. Um, yeah, I guess it, that's quite a visual image, really, when you think about a character. No, it's great. It's great. I have an anorexic character who wears a long brown Mac and it's buttoned up. It goes right down to her ankles mm. and she's... Um, She's always looking at the ground. She's got a blue plastic bag and she carries it by her side. And she sort of, um, yeah, she doesn't want to make eye contact. She wants everyone to look at her, but she doesn't want anyone to look at her. She's in that mm. kind of that kind of uh, zone. So you're drill sergeant. Okay, now, is it just the one critic? Here's the thing, the voice, the voices, because I have several. Are you both, is your research about the one voice that you're calling the eating disorder voice? Is that right? Yeah, so it could be one voice, it could be several voices, obviously varies massively um, for everyone, but it kind of tends to be, yeah, that voice that you hear alongside an eating disorder that's typically kind of critical about people's body shape, weight and um, eating, um, which can obviously have implications on your self-worth and it can, uh, there's kind of research to say that it can maintain an eating disorder as well. That's interesting. Tell me about that research. Um, So it's apparently a really common experience for people who have an eating disorder and it's um, kind of missed by services. Um, So they kind of focus on, you know, the typical restoring of weight and Mm -hmm. kind of focusing on like thought challenging and things like that. But that kind of voice that um, people have said is kind of always there, just that constant um, critical narrative that is sometimes yeah not targeted enough um, which might kind of um, partly explain the quite high um, relapse rates of people with an eating disorder. Because you're kind of tending to the outside while inside things aren't changing. Mm, yeah definitely. Okay so in your previous work I'm thinking about also what brought you to this to this point in your previous work did you develop an interest in the internal world of your, I don't know, your clients or people that you were working with, um, helping, supporting? Because, you know, eating disorders, eating disorder behaviours, you, you know, if you view them as, as addictions, I know not everybody does, then we can include, you know, alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, drug dependency. I mean, you know, the list is long. I don't need to tell you or listeners about that. Are you aware of that voice being a very similar voice? Yeah, I guess we all have narratives about ourselves, like that internal working model, I guess, how we see ourselves, how we see other people and how we see the world is really how we categorise it. Um, But I guess the eating disorder voice can be a really specific um, experience and I think a lot of it's not known about um, it's only been present in research for the last decade or so of is it a hallucination experience do people experience it like you were asking earlier is it an extension of yourself um, mm. or is it its own self entirely and more in line with maybe more dissociative 
um, disorders. Um, so I think a lot is not known about what this experience is specifically, which is why it's really important for us to be researching it more. And I'm thinking that no one knew about it because no one had really asked the question. So is there someone who is seminal in putting forward this theory or this work? Um, there's been uh, quite a lot of research by um, Pew, um, P-U-G-H. So they kind of described that eating disorder voice of, yeah, just being typically critical about certain things about you physically and um, kind of, yeah, that inner critic of you know, when you're eating and if you should eat, if you shouldn't eat, things like that. Um, there's also been quite a lot of research on voice hearing itself um, by someone called um, Fernie Hoff, I think I'm pronouncing right. that correctly. Okay. Um, yeah, so in terms of research specifically on that eating disorder voice, it is limited really, um, which is why we just feel it's important to um, do this research ourselves really. Do you think that that let's okay? So let's just drill it down. So we because we've let's talk about just a one. Which you're talking about the inner critic and just like the one voice eating disorder voice. Because and we know that there might be many more. Do you think that that voice starts off as a defence, as a protective mechanism, and actually a voice that's in your corner, and then just gets a bit too big for itself and gets out of control? What do what are your thoughts around that, both of you? I think it's something that's definitely a relationship with that voice can change over time mm. um, from research and what people have kind of reported themselves of it being initially a really positive experience. It could be mm. someone, I say someone, if they identify it as uh, its own self, but I guess the voice could be considered almost that companion that offers yes. reassurance and helps regulate distress. Um, but over time, that can change to be really critical, almost like a bully um, kind of character that may be really critical or coercive towards the individual. So I guess it could demand like really strict obedience to these disordered eating behaviours that the person might be experiencing. So could I break it down? Could I be as simple as saying, so let's use me. I have my voice and my voice says, um, oh, you, look, you look nice, you look good today. And, and that, um, I don't know, whatever you're wearing, that shirt, that looks that looks nice on you. And then maybe I have a, it's so difficult to talk about these things, isn't it? Because it's so nebulous and we, we're talking, we're talking, you know, abstract notions, but, and then that voice so that's fine. And then I might have a, diff a change in my feeling state. Something might happen and my feelings change. And the voice, the voice who said, that shirt looks great on you, kind of feeds on the feeling, you know, because it's that's what it needs. It needs the emotions to live. And then it goes, actually, that shirt's a bit tight across your arm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I guess it can be as quick as the feeling changing in that moment, um, or it may be just be over the course of um, the experience of an eating disorder. So maybe those in initial experience, um, maybe restricting yourself or something. It may be like praising, um, mm. praising the individual for like, oh yeah, you might you managed to do this and you look great, and offering that reassurance or even like you said regulating 
distress or it, you get kind of a positive feeling from doing that. Yeah. And then it might change to um, having that really negative of like, you need to carry on doing this and almost that um, that critical nature to the voice. I interviewed someone who had a very strong um, eating disorder voice and she said that she felt like she was completely taken over by that voice mm. and being told what to do. What was interesting is that the voice happened after her mum died and this happened when she was, I can't remember, 11, 12, 13. So she became heavily anorexic very, very young. And that's kind of when you have no resilience, really. You might think you do, but you don't. It takes a long time to build resilience and to, you know, stand on your own two feet. And it certainly doesn't happen when you're 12 or 13 because you're so vulnerable. What do you think about that, Sarah? Yeah, I think it's really common for voice hearing in particular to develop um, after, you know, traumatic um, event or uh, during like a grieving process. Um, So it could be kind of your brain's way of almost dealing with that and trying to make sense of it and process that. But of course, it can kind of turn its focus onto eating because um obviously not for everyone but it could be something you're able to control when other things are out of your control um so yeah i'd say that is um quite common for kind of voice hearing and eating disorders themselves can be um linked to trauma at times yeah and i wonder if it's also to do about that disassociation it actually i know i know it's in the long run it's well it can kill you but that disassociation kind of gives you a break. It gives a part of you, mm. a wounded part of you that's unable to cope and unable to feel it gives you a break, doesn't it? The problem is, is then reconciling and bringing yourself, bringing all those parts of you back together. And I asked this to Phoebe, but we, did did your interest in, you know, it's kind of the internal world and the voice, did that also grow through your previous work when you were working in the disability service and in the ED service? Um, so it's actually me that worked in those services. Sorry, um, yeah, I've just seen that. Right, okay. No, yeah. don't worry, don't worry. Um, yeah, so definitely my interest kind of peaked when I was working in an ED service because it's something I'd never kind of worked with before, but I found it obviously very sad, very difficult, um, but just so fascinating because I think it's just unlike a lot of different um, kind of... Um, things if like I don't know kind of what you call it like a um men like mental health um Mm. issue kind of thing it's just its own kind of section and there's a lot of misunderstanding about it and um I think a lot of people kind of do feel a bit let down by services at times due to that lack of understanding what was was there a theme were the two or three themes emotional themes running with the people that you encountered with eating disorders or eating disorder behaviours? So what I kind of picked out was that almost lack of validation from either kind of healthcare professionals or family members, that kind of feeling of that they're not ill enough, Um, particularly with anorexia, like my body weight isn't low enough, Um, things like that, which of course, you know, fuels fuels the entire kind of eating disorder. Um, Other themes were kind of particularly with services that, yeah, they only do care about your physical appearance. And as long as your weight hits a certain number, as long as it's stable, that's, that's you know, that box ticked really when obviously it's so much more 
um, than that. Um, that's, you know, not even scratching the surface. Um, and yeah, just a lot of kind of the self-esteem is just just a lot of sadness and a lot of the people I work with, some of them were only about um, 11 as well. And it was just something I didn't even kind of know at the time that people of that age can experience, you know, those those feelings and develop an eating disorder, really. Were they um, able to articulate their distress? I mean, obviously they are articulating their distress, but they're doing it with the behaviour and physically. Were they able to discuss how they felt? At times, it depends at what stage of their eating disorder they were at. Um, you saw kind of a massive difference between when, because it was um, like an inpatient unit that I worked at, so you saw a massive difference between when they first um, kind of um, were admitted versus when they left. Um, I'd say, because I was a support worker at the time, so they only kind of told me limited things because they had separate um, therapy as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, would, it just massively depends on what type of day they were having. Because sometimes, you know, you could see they'd be so overwhelmed they didn't even know kind of how they were feeling. They just knew it was a negative feeling, really. It sounds like they were, I'm just thinking what the, well, I mean, anorexia and not eating is about control, isn't it? I mean, lots of eating disorder behaviours are about control, mm. anxiety and just not feeling good enough and just not feeling up for it, up for the world, up for the job, up for whatever you meant think you're meant to be up for yeah definitely okay we're going to take a quick break welcome back to love this food thing podcast i'm here with phoebe dale and sarah roberts and i think we'd like to talk in the last bit of this episode about your work your research uh, how it's going your intention your kind of mission do you both feel like you're on a bit of a mission yeah, I guess it feels like that. Um, we want to really just be able to use the platform that this research will have to raise the the voices in this community, really. I right, think that's what right. we mainly want to do. And how are you going about that? So what we're hoping to do is um, kind of gain people's stories um, of uh, their experiences of an eating disorder voice but we're going to do that quite creatively so rather than using interviews and things like that which can be quite limiting um, we're using a design called experience-based co-design so it kind of lets individuals tell their story um, and they're at the centre of the research um, so uh, what we're asking people to do is do something a bit different so they could provide us with like a piece of art or a written piece or a spoken piece, just whatever they feel like would best reflect their experience really. And then we'll kind of analyze that and pick themes out of that um, and feed that back to uh, the individuals to see if we've correctly kind of picked out those themes really, just to make sure it's their story completely that's heard rather than just our interpretations, if that makes sense. I love that. So will you be analysing, if I sent you a picture of my woman in her Mac, in her long brown Mac, would you be analysing that or does it go through some kind of model? So we'd be analysing it ourselves. Um, we're using um, narrative um, analysis, which just is based on stories, uh, really. So it's just, yeah, making sure that it's the individuals at the centre of the research, really, rather than us trying to tell other people what they've experienced. 
Do you think eating disorder behaviours and eating disorders are also about repressed creativity? I'd say that could be um, a take on it. Yeah, I think that was definitely another theme um, of people when I worked at an eating disorder service. A lot of um, the young people there did have loads of different creative um, outlets. So a lot of them were, yeah, they used to kind of write their own songs. Um, artwork was a big, um, good like outlet for them. And a lot of them used to be into crocheting as well. I don't know what the what the correlation was. But. No, no, I love that. And actually, I spoke mm. to someone who was on an eating disorder unit. She was there for ages. Everyone was knitting. Mm. And I'm thinking yeah. maybe it's the, oh, it's so neat and it's so repetitive and it's so easily to, con- easy to control, isn't it? If you've got, I mean, I don't knit. I did knit very, very, very long time ago. You've got your needles and it's just therapeutic and mm. it's the, re- oh, maybe it's the, re- maybe it's the ritual as well and the, just the repetition. It's always the same unless you drop a stitch. and I think there's something because we're not interviewing people like we said before I guess us trying to describe what this experience is like sometimes words just can't capture that they can't really express what that person is experiencing so if there's another way to do that I think that's what we're hoping to to get is just how do people want to tell their story rather than us trying to fit into the research how they maybe should tell their story absolutely I also I don't know what you both think about this but I think some of the mental health parlance that we use can be very um repressive limiting um stifling what do you think yeah I think there's only so much that a questionnaire or an interview or things can pick up um we just want to make it as individualised as possible, really, and make sure it's just person-centred. So so I'm saying to anyone who's listening to this episode, so are we going to put a link on your show notes? Are we going to put it on our Instagram? How would you like that to happen? So if we do have this link, you want people to send in their stories, their pictures, their dance piece, their sculpture, whatever about yeah, their what, eating disorder yeah yeah whatever they want to submit really obviously like if it's something like a sculpture taking a picture of it and submitting yeah. it there'll be um I guess a link to our questionnaire that will have a bit more of the details about what the research is asking and that they're happy to take part and then they'd get taken to a page which means they can upload that piece of whatever it whatever it is and then they will get an analysis back from you but they will also be part of your research yeah, so all short, um, all stories shared would be anonymous, so there would be no names attached to it. Um, so that just opens it up for people to to share what they'd feel comfortable sharing. Um, but yeah, we'd um, I think we have part of the process where they can put their email address in, and if they want to be kept up to date with our research, and if it gets published in the future, they'd be able to um, see what's come from the research really and are you is this any age limit we're looking at um young women between the ages of 16 to 25 um we're just using that as a starting point because we know that um voice hearings and eating disorders are kind of very prevalent um in women particularly within that age range um but we're hoping this will lead to kind of further research in um, other ages other genders um so yeah that's just our starting point really 
you think, I'm just thinking as you're saying that, 16 to 25 is such an important age and so, of development, so much goes on. Do you think it's also linked to hormonal changes? Yeah, I think that's definitely a contributing factor, like we've said, of just the influences of that age, but also how you're developing and your body's developing as well. Yeah, and I mean, how I felt at 16 and then how I felt at 22 was dramatically different. Yeah, and I think a lot of research either looks at under 18s or over 18s and then someone who's 19 would get put into research with someone who's um, in their 40s or 50s Mm. and I think we wanted that young I guess when you categorize a young woman there's a new age bracket in research that's called emerging adulthood that's kind of that 18 to 25 um, spread so when we were thinking about who to include we wanted to make sure we kind of captured that 16 to 25 age range really interesting emerging adulthood what a great phrase what a great group to be part of yeah i think there's just a lot that changes within that age range like you said um the way you feel at kind of 16 versus in your 20s is just very different really so it would just be interesting to also see the contrast as well between people around that 16 17 mark and then the higher end 24 25 yeah, absolutely. Is there a time limit on when you need to receive everything? Um, we're hoping for it to be by the end of June, um, but there might be some flex with that. But um, we'll keep up to date on our Instagram, really, of where the research is and when um, there's be a deadline for submitting the work. Tell me or tell us the name of your Instagram page. So it's EDV Study. EDV, EDV study. Okay, so your episode goes out on the 5th of June. So everyone's got a long time. We've got a long three and a half, four weeks to submit. It sounds so exciting, you know. I just think it's, um, I just think it's a great way in and it doesn't feel like constraining or, or limited because you're so right. Not everyone wants to talk to somebody. And you actually, none of us ever know what we're talking about, really. And we never really know what the other person is talking about. We have all these commonalities and go, yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're in agreement there. But actually, we don't really know. And something different and magical can happen when it's expressed in a different way, particularly through art or music or someone wrote a song or, yeah. What's your, what would you like to say, actually? What what else do you have to, to add to today and and what we need to know or your hopes for the research or do you have plans for anything in the future what would you like to add I guess our sorry go on Phoebe um I guess our hopes for the research is that we know that the eating disorder voice is a maintenance factor for eating disorder behaviors and because so little is known about this experience we're really at that like explorative stage for this in terms of research as a whole but we want to help inform services so if there's a way that it can be suggested that the relationship between the individual and their voice can change the power that that voice has and how the individual maybe responds to that voice if we can understand that relationship better we'd be able to hope that further research and build on that would just be able to improve the support that's given to people with eating disorders yeah, then it becomes a, an accepted part of 
the understanding, the culture. Mm. Um, would you like to add anything, Sarah, to that? Um, I was just going to say that we're also um, holding a webinar on the 4th of July um, right. with support from Voice Collective, um, which is a kind of support um, system for people that hear voices. Um, and it'll just be, be about between, yeah, eight to 10 people who kind of have had experience of an eating disorder alongside um, voice hearing. Um, just a place to share their stories really. And also, yeah, submit a piece of work, like the artwork we were talking about earlier, just to reflect their story, really. So you wouldn't have to actually be present at the webinar, you just submit a piece of work? So yeah, there's two options. You can just submit your piece of work or you can join the webinar or you can do both. So we're just leaving okay. it flexible, really. Okay, great. Well, we'll put all that information on your show notes and on our um, Instagram page as well. I have got a final question for both of you, but is there anything else that I've missed or you would like to flag up? I was just going to add about the webinar that yeah. um, as people are discussing their experiences, there's going to be a live illustrator there called um, Emma Paxton. She's going to join the webinar and be drawing and illustrating as people are talking to try and capture um, their experiences in that creative way. I well. love that. I love that. And how are you, are you going to show those images? So they'll be shared with the attendees of the webinar afterwards and it would also feed into our analysis. So we'd kind of put that analysis, that illustration along with any other stories submitted and kind of analyse them all together. So it would be part of our research project, yeah. You wouldn't have, okay, I love this idea. I'm now going with this idea. You wouldn't have like an online gallery, anonymous obviously, with sort of salient points underneath. Yeah, I guess it depends what, uh, the beauty of it really we don't know what we're going to get so yeah, that's it's, true. Um, okay, enough, it's really yeah. nice to um go into that but um it may be something that when we've writing up our results that um we're able to include an appendices of of the different work that's submitted okay so exciting and you know people like you doing this research it sounds new and dynamic and very much needed are you ready for your last question? And thank you so much, both of you, for coming on and um, putting up with me, going backwards and forwards and getting your names wrong. <laughs> okay. Next time we'll be on camera. Me. That's my pleasure. But at least we didn't have to do our hair, did we? So we <laughs> just kind of like sit back. Um, okay, last question. I'm going to ask you, Sarah. If you were going to an island, any kind of island, any kind of climate, what five foods would you take with you? Now, you have a storage cupboard olive oil, seasonings, etc. I always say the same thing. What five foods would you take with you? So the first thing that comes to mind is chocolate. Um, what kind of chocolate? Dairy milk. Okay. Always has to be dairy milk. Um, okay. And then I eat a lot of pasta because I feel yeah. like that's like a vehicle for loads of different things. Absolutely. Pro probably cheese as well. Okay, so um, dairy milk, pasta, cheese. What kind of cheese would you take? Oh, probably cheddar because that is just kind of a neutral one that you kind of yeah. are always in the mood for. Um, and you can take a big block, can't you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, bread as well. Um, okay. Because then I could melt the chocolate or the cheese on the bread or both. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And your final one? Um, probably chips, but specifically 
chippy chips because they're the best chips but hopefully hang i keep on a them warm hang on a minute <laughs> chippy chips are the best chips yes no skin <laughs> french fries long and thin no chippy chips are the best with gravy or curry sauce <laughs> you sound like my husband <laughs> and what about you phoebe what five foods would you take to your island wherever this island is whatever the climate that's a really tough one i'm so indecisive um <laughs> Peanut butter. I, I think yes. I eat peanut butter every day. So, Do you have crunchy or smooth, salted or unsalted? Mm, I think crunchy. Go, great. Okay. Um, okay. Crunchy, also, salted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I'd have to say chocolate as well, but specifically the um, the dairy milk with the dime bar in it. That's uh, <laughs> the best one. Um, <laughs> I think realised I'm going on a very sweet theme that shows that I have just a sweet tooth, really. That's um, all right. You can change your mind tomorrow. <laughs> the, um, you know, the pick mix that you get the blue and pink sour bottles. Oh, yeah, they're good. Those. I like the fried eggs. Mm, yeah, really yeah. good. Okay. Um, and then I'd probably have to say um, bread as well. What kind of bread would you take? Mm, some kind of like crispy baguette kind of okay. bread. Okay. Um, okay. And maybe some hummus to go with the bread. Delicious. So we've done a really good advert for Cadbury's here. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they need it at the moment. I can't thank you enough. Honestly, just great to talk to you. And please keep us updated. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe in the future, in a year or a year and a half, you can come back on and tell us how it's gone. Yeah, that'd that'd be great. Thank you. Ah, My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.